Welcome to Grace on the Go. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go. This episode is a sermon from Sunday, July 30th, 2023 called The Family Prayer, True Daily Bread, given by Pastor Jonathan Dinger. The scripture passage highlighted for today's sermon comes from the book of Exodus chapter 16, verse 12. I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat me, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. God's grace, his mercy, and his peace are yours in Jesus Christ, our Savior. There's a printed outline if you want that, if that's helpful to you, as we go through the series in the Lord's Prayer. And, uh, and I find this one uh, kind of intriguing in that, um, in that this particular petition, and I'm tying these two together. Now, when I grew up, in the church, and I went to confirmation class, and we studied these petitions. The, we studied them all very separately, very separately. So give us this day our daily bread, right? So, I mean, we start in the beginning, our Father in heaven. We have a dear Father who we can approach as children, like a loving parent. His name is holy. His name should be set apart to use for wonderful things, praying, praising, giving thanks. Your kingdom come. We want God's kingdom to rule in our hearts. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? God's g- going to do his will no matter what, whether we're on board or not. But really, that prayer is, could we get on board with God? His will, not mine, right? So that's what we've covered so far. And now you get, give us a day our daily bread. And when I was in class, it was essentially, and, and Martin Luther does this big exposition on it. What does this mean? And it's, we give thanks to God for all those daily things we need, food and shelter and clothing and your job, vocation, your abilities, your talents, uh, your children and your family and all of those daily things that we use. And then it moves on and forgive us our trespasses. You know, we use that old language and I hope you really know, you know, trespass, we often think of, you know, walking on somebody else's lawn or, you know, breaking and entering or something like that. And it's old language. I, I'm sorry I'm old. I like the old. I like some traditional things like, like in the benediction we say, your countenance, you know. That really means turn your face towards me, right? Your kindly face toward me is what that means. But it really means forgive us our sins as we forgive the sins of others. So, and those are treated as two very separate things. So I don't know about you, growing up in the church, I was told many, many things by my parents, which I'm sure I ignored, uh, and, my, and my pastors and my youth leaders and so forth. Isn't this infuriating or frustrating as a parent? You will tell your kids, you know, morals and values and things to live by, and you will say to them hundreds of times. And then they go and they meet some coach or some teacher or somebody, and they come back and they go, Mom, Dad, I learned this new thing. And you've been saying the same exact thing to them a thousand times and you have to sit there and go that's great (laughs) you know that's great anyway so I'm sure my pastors and teachers taught me these things and I just didn't pay attention but I remember looking at this saying and it was an aha moment for me when I went how does this connect why does Jesus say because this is a weird petition isn't it give us this day our daily bread it's weird to me it's weird Because you get it no matter what, right? The sun rises, your lungs work, your heart beats, you go to work. Everybody, whether you believe in God or don't believe in God, true, right? Even the scriptures say that. The sun shines, the rain falls on the godly and the ungodly alike. 
God has created all humanity in His image and has a deep love for all people, whether they follow Him or not. God wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Paul tells us that. That's God's heart and passion. So I've always thought this is kind of a funny request. Give us this day our daily bread. I mean, you're getting it without asking. So why are we asking? And I think there's two big reasons. Here's the first thing. Who it's from and what truly fuels us. And this was an aha moment for me, a click thing. When I was writing my Life in Christ class, and I was writing the junior confirmation program, this was one where I go, I get this. This is a big deal. So I'm hoping some of you have been so gracious and kind to me. It doesn't mean that some of you have not been. Some of you have been really kind, and he sent me emails or texts or whatever and said, man, thanks for talking about the Lord's Prayer. I've said it a thousand times. I never thought of it that way. That's cool. I love to hear that because that's my goal. But on this one, what's the connection between daily bread and the forgiveness of sins? That's the thing. And so the first thing is this. If God gives daily bread to everyone, godly, ungodly, doesn't matter, every human being, their heart beat, they breathe air, the sun shines, the rain falls, we eat, we have children and families, why do we ask for it? And it's because God wants to remind us that he gives it to us. I mean, that's number one. God wants to remind us, I love to do this for you. Look at point number one. Here's, I, there's four principles I want you to learn from this, four things that I hope are helpful. As you pray this prayer, this is some of the things we're saying. A parent provides, but more than that, a parent loves to provide. Let's tell you my crazy story. So I'm like 13 or 14. My brothers are 10 and 12 years older than me, and so my parents were deeply protective of me. We had moved to New York City when I was six. What do I know? I'm six. I, I, you know, and I'm like, why, are, why do you have your thumb on me all the time? Like when I went to college, I went to college 3,000 miles away to be 3,000 miles away. Um, I'm not, this is not good, by the way, children. This is not a good reason to do that. <laughs> and my parents got smarter and smarter every year. But it was really interesting because um, I remember one time, and I was disobedient, defiant. I remember one time for Mother's Day. This is so terrible. I should not tell you this story. I wrote a thing. I didn't want to go buy my mom a gift or I'd forgotten or something like that. So I wrote her this full page of all the things I had done for her. Can you see where this is going? And my mom was so great. Some of you know this and some of you don't. My mom passed when I was 27, and I still miss her dearly, desperately. She was a Lutheran school principal like Mrs. Bope. And my mom was so gracious. She received that, gave me a hug, said, thank you. Thank you for all those kind things. Because I'd list, you know, taking out the garbage. And... About a week later, I get like 50 pages from her. It's like, I kid you not, it's like 50 pages. And it is all single space typed. I mean, she had her secretary do this. But it was, it was this laundry list of all the things that she had done for me. And, and I just was so, and I was so embarrassed, you know, rightly so. And she said to me, Jonathan, she said, I don't give this to embarrass you, but you've never gotten a list like this from me. I said, I don't do it to create a list or to keep score. I love you. I mean, that was the whole thing. A parent loves to provide. 
even when it's not always super well received. It may not always be these. Sometimes parents, don't you have to take a deep breath every once in a while? And we're still doing it because we love to provide. I, I, I hate this. I don't want this to sound too, you know, male or whatever, but men and men especially have kind of this character trait. Moms, you guys too. Nurture, care, safety. There's nothing. You, it's such a unique, wonderful thing. But men, man, a lot of our worth, our self-image is wrapped up in are we providing? Are we protecting? And so it has to be driven by love because it's not always received well. That's why like the grumbling in the wilderness with the manna, it has to be driven by love because they're idiots. These guys in the wilderness come grumbling and complaining, oh, we had pots of meat in Egypt, you know, how short their memories are, how horrible it was that they were slave laborers and not their own people and and in the, immediately they begin to misunderstand and not appreciate how God has with his own hand led them by the hand out of Egypt, protected them from Pharaoh's armies, given them freedom and the promise of a new land. And in spite of their grumbling, he longs to provide. And that's where we get this manna. Give us this day our daily bread. Every day for 40 years, God gave them daily bread. So really a huge reason why we do this is to remember who's giving it. it you know, man, Jesus even says that in the Sermon on the Mount. The pagans run after all these things. You know, what do we eat? What do we wear? Oh. And he says they're chasing after all these things. But you know who's giving it to you. You know that it's been given by a father who loves you, by a parent who loves you. You know that. And so that's the first thing in praying. So in other words, I, and, and this is terrible for me to say, and I say it, knowing full well that my Savior is probably smiling at me, I would maybe change the prayer just a little bit. Instead of give us this day our daily bread, I'd almost say, you give us this day our daily bread. Thank you. You do give us all we have, all we have. And so if the first point is simply the idea that to know who, does, who provides this and how do we have gratitude, how do we understand, and how do we understand that it is driven by God's overwhelming love for us. The, the Romans chapter 8 passage to me is so valuable. I'll tell you, Dylan, we, you and I were just chatting about this. I tell people, if you, if you, you want to have a go-to, couple of chapters to go to, like once a month or every couple months, just read Romans chapter 7 and Romans chapter 8. They, they are so honest. Romans 7, the good I want to do, I don't do. The bad I don't want to do, I keep doing this. What in the world is going on? But God is good to me, you know. Therefore, there's no condemnation for those in Christ. And then chapter 8 finishes with these, I mean, these are just soaring words. There's nothing that can separate you from the love of God in Christ. But you know what all that's built on, that promise? There is nothing. In other words, what Paul is saying in Romans 8 at the conclusion, there is nothing that will ever have God stop loving you. Nothing. Parents get this, by the way. It can be hard, but you never stop. It can be hard. But nothing. Why? You want to know why? Here's, here's what it said, right? If you have it right in front of you in the epistle. What then shall we say in response to this? If God's force, who can be against us? Here's the verse, verse 32, Romans 8, 32. Memorize it. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also? along with him, 
graciously give us all things. You want to know how much you're loved? That's how much. I mean, Paul is sitting there saying, how can you imagine that you won't be provided for? How can you begin to even think it? He gave up his son. That was his gift to you. And so the things you're worried about, that God is, that God is somehow not providing, are you kidding? That's what you're going to complain about? He gave you Jesus and gave him up willingly, lovingly, because he cares so deeply for us all. So that's the first thing. Parent loves to provide. God loves to provide for you. So when you pray that prayer, don't forget it. God loves to provide it. Second thing. So a couple of things. So uh, Aaron and uh, Hayes, who's our deacon and teaches in our high school, and uh, Kirk Triplett, Pastor Triplett from Faith Lutheran, are the two, our two regional representatives at our national convention. So they're there in St. Louis now. Keep them in prayer because you can lose your faith at these things. Um, it's kind of, it's not, it's not the church at its best. But some good things can happen and important discussions can happen. So we keep praying for them, the good things happen. But it's interesting, one of the topics that's major, that's huge, is that we are closing churches because we don't have pastors. So I, I'm laying this out here. We are closing churches because we don't have pastors. Unless you think you can't serve in the church, I went back after seven years of teaching, sold everything, sold my house, moved my little girl and my, mom, and her, and my wife. I don't know, answered the call, and I went kicking and screaming. I'll tell you about it in a minute, in a second. But um, that's one of the major topics we're talking about. We're closing churches because they are vacant. And churches will sometimes go years, and they decline and decline, and then they can't ever get one. So that's a topic that's a topic. So it's one of those things that I mentioned that to you. Let me tell you a second thing. So we did the back, the back to school thing is Saturday. Please keep that in prayer. And if you want to volunteer, you need to call. We're now late enough in the game that if you call, we assign you to things. Okay, just so you know. So if you show up, we'll say, okay, you get to do this. Okay. So, but thank God. Um, that was about nine weeks ago that we, I got called from John, Pastor Josh over in Gate City. And he said, hey, we can't do this. Will you guys do it? So we brought it to the congregation. You guys said, go. Okay. We raised $30,000 in two weeks and um, got the school supplies all here. Got over 100 volunteers. It's going to happen. So here we go. Praise God. We're going to bless 2,000 kids. And the reason that I was so convinced that we should do it is this second point. If God calls you to it, he'll provide for it. I absolutely believe that. When Jesus called his disciples, he provided for them. He gave them his promise, his presence, his word. They went out and they spoke his word and they called people to repentance and they announced the kingdom of God and they cast out demons and they healed the sick. If God calls you to it, he'll provide for it. If God has called us to serve kids in this community, God will provide for it and he did in a big way, through you. If God calls us to it, he'll provide for it. When I went to seminary, and this is crazy, I was teaching in high school, been teaching for seven years, loved what I was doing. I actually went to seminary right out of college, and I failed miserably. I was a dropout, and I was a hot mess, and I was angry, and I was bitter. And, uh, and so seven years went by, and then people in my life said, we think you should go to seminary. And I'm like, there's no, there's no stinking way was the deal. And um, I remember 
laughing about it with Teresa. And finally, after a while, I just I went to her and I said, Honey, I, I think I need to go to seminary. Now, here's the thing. My wife had her dream job. She was um, DCE, youth and music, directed the choir, had a 30-voice middle school, high school kid choir, singing groups. They were going to youth gatherings. She was doing all kinds of, her best thing. And I said to her, and I was so nervous because she had her dream job, and I said, I think I need to go to seminary. And she goes, it's about time. You know, one of those. And it was interesting because back in those days, there weren't other routes to do it. You sold your house. We had a little girl, Sarah, and you sold your house and you packed up and you moved and you relocated to the Midwest. And we were living in Seattle at the time. And I remember, so we put the house on the market, and it was not a good time. It was uh, early 90s. And, uh, and I'm praying this prayer. Lord, if you've called me to it, you'll provide for it. Lord, if you call me to it, you'll provide for it. No buyer, no buyer, no buyer. I'm thinking, we ordered the U-Haul. I had the crew coming. It was one week before we were supposed to leave. I was about to cancel it all. And somebody said, okay, we'll buy your house if you'll carry the contract. I go, great! What's carry a contract? <laughs> so I had no idea. I had no idea what that meant. We, anyway, we did it. Off we went to seminary. And my transmission dropped on the way to seminary. God provided. It was a miracle. And this carrying the contract thing, there are tax implications, of which I was ignorant. And I, I got a bill, and God provided there, miraculously. I've told you that story before. Miraculously. If God calls you to it, God provides for it. So he may be calling you to reconcile things in the family. He may be calling you to reach out to your neighbor. He may be calling you to care for someone that's not easy to care for. But if he calls you to it, he'll provide for it. That's what this is about. Give us our daily bread. That's daily bread too. Third thing. And this is the thing that I loved because this was what I had fun. Daily bread is so much more than bread. And this is why I thought, this is why Jesus put it right next to each other. And give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive the sins of others. Sometimes people take that wrong. It, it's, a, it's a misapplication to say what Jesus is saying there is, if you don't forgive the sins of others, then you won't be forgiven. What it really means is, if you don't forgive the sins of others, you do not realize how much you've been forgiven. That's really what, and he tells a parable that reinforces that, which I may touch on here in a minute. Here's the aha moment. So, we have food insecurity in this community. You know that, don't you? We got the food bank coming on Saturday. And it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart that we have to do a back-to-school event. It's awesome, right? It'll be awesome to help, help kids and families get their kids ready for school when they couldn't otherwise. It'll be awesome. Aren't you praying that we'll never have to do another one of those again someday? Aren't you praying that we could close all the food banks? Right? I mean, Jesus says, the poor will always be with us. There will always be opportunities to serve. But that shouldn't mean that we shouldn't try. And here's the thing. So we live with food insecurity in an era and in a country in which we do not need to. There is no reason to have food insecurity. Here's the other thing. So here's what I think Jesus is saying. 
We've got spiritual food insecurity in this place, in this nation, in our community. Spiritual food insecurity. We're going to have a meal here which is going to take away your food insecurity. It's a taste of the banquet that's going to be laid before you in heaven. It's a taste of eternity in which Christ himself comes and meets us in this place so that you can feast upon his grace. This is the aha thing that I'm talking about. When I teach this in confirmation, I tell them, isn't it great that God provides your daily bread? Isn't that awesome? That you have food to eat, you have a house to go to, you got a bed to sleep in, you got a car that you get hauled around in, you get spending money, you get to go to Disneyland, you know, whatever. You get all that stuff and your heart beats and your lungs work and isn't it great? And compared to that, that's nothing compared to this. The, 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 what God is longing for us to feast on is his grace. He's longing for us to feast on the gifts of compassion and love which he constantly and daily provides. Jesus says, right, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added. Why are you worrying about that? You worry about that nothing stuff. I know you need him. You think I don't know you need him? What, do you think I'm caught off guard like this shocks me? God says, I got it. What I really want you to do is feast on me. Feast on my gifts and on my presence and on my promise and on my compassion and then you'll really know what it means to eat. So I was a waiter in college also. This is how I worked my way through college. Actually, I should tell you that story. <laughs> so this is the fourth one. Daily bread is so much more than bread. It's the very presence of Christ. It's the very gift and grace of Christ, which we will feast on in just a moment. I, so I was a waiter in uh, college, and it's how I worked my way through school. And um, so I was at the, uh, I waited uh, tables at the fancy restaurant in LaGuardia Airport in uh, Queens in New York. It was awesome, made lots of money. It, it was a godsend. But it was funny because I've spoken about my mom being such a neat gal and everything, but she was the world's worst cook, world's worst. So I thought meat was supposed to be like beef jerky. Um, I thought that's what it was. Um, I thought that potatoes came out of flakes from a box. I thought, really, I mean, there's a whole series of things. I, 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 am, I had no idea that there was such a thing called blue cheese. Um, or spinach salad. So I, I went, I waited at these tables, and of course they made you eat everything on the menu. And that was French onion soup, and a rare filet mignon, and escargot, and New York cheesecake, and oh my goodness, I, my whole world was opened up to me. And here's the thing. Here's my law point and my gospel point. My law point is this. We too often eat on the food my mom made. And yeah, it was food, but it wasn't much. I learned to eat food that was really food. And there's no looking back. So feast on this place. Feast at this table. Because that's the daily bread which Jesus wants you to have, not just like daily, like once a day, but in every breath. In every breath we take, we breathe in the very grace of God and His promise. And now that's eating. That's feeding upon. That's what fuels us. That's what keeps us going in life, which is truly life. And then the last point is this. The more we know grace, the more grace is shared. So my parents made a deal with me 
they said, uh, we'll provide the first two years of college, you're on your own for the rest. And I was kind of like complaining, you know, I'd go to college and I had friends and their parents were paying the whole thing and they'd buy them a car, you know, and they had a car. They'd fly back and forth home, you know, three times a year. I got to come back once in the summer, that was it. I didn't get to come back for Christmas or Thanksgiving, I came back once. And so that was just how it was, I was 3,000 miles away from home. And my parents both worked for the church. There was no way they should have been able to live in New York City. There's no way. I come to find out later, it was rent-controlled housing. And then, so there's some things that happened. But I found the box of records of what they paid for my school and in travel and in books and in clothing, all those things for two years. It was t over 25% of their combined income. It is a miracle. I cannot believe what they sacrificed and how they dipped into retirement accounts and into reserves and into their long-term future and stuff so that I could go to college. And I complained about it. And I was not grateful until I knew. And Jesus tells this story. He tells the story about a, a man who like owed $5 million and the king calls him in. What's this? Pay it back. I promise I'll pay it back. No way. Take him 10 lifetimes. And the king forgives it. It's awesome. He goes out and as he's walking down the street, he sees a buddy who owes him $100, and he says, pay me back, and if you don't, I'm throwing you in jail. Throws him in jail. And the, and the king comes unglued. Unglued, right? And Jesus' point. He missed the point. He did not realize how much grace he had received. Jesus tells another, there's another story. Luke tells it to us in Luke 7. Jesus invited to a fancy party, Simon the Pharisee, and uh, in comes this woman off the street uninvited. She's a sinful woman in that town. You can pick the sins. And as she goes up, she has eyes just for Jesus. Luke chapter 7. It's one of the best stories you'll ever see. And she has eyes only for Jesus. Comes weeping. She's overcome by her emotions. Washes Jesus' feet with her hair. Dries him. Right? And the, the, the Pharisee, the religious guy who's there, he says... Well, this guy's not a prophet. This guy's a nobody. He, otherwise, he wouldn't know who's touching him, that she's a sinful woman. And Jesus essentially says, Simon, see this woman? I came into your house. You didn't even offer a bowl to wash my feet or my hands with. She comes in, <clears throat> and she hasn't stopped weeping on my feet and drying it with her hair. I said, she's a sinful woman. Her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven because she loved much. She knew her sins were forgiven, and so she loves me. He who is forgiven little loves little. If you think you have little to be forgiven. So when I saw that box of receipts from my parents, my love for my parents, it, it transformed me, absolutely changed me, in which I said, if my parents could be that generous to me and never tell me, I'm changing my heart. And God did a work to change, to be generous. Because they sacrificed so that it could be grace. The more we know grace, the more grace is shared. And so grace multiplies because of what God has done in his gifting to us. And so God's great love is that we would have joy in, as Christ shares himself. Christ comes to us, a delight in offering his own body and his blood, his grace. That's what we feast upon, the living water and the very presence of Christ that we might be filled with his gifts now and forever.
to his glory and for our good. Amen. If you have any questions or comments, email them to podcast at gracepocatello.org. And make sure to subscribe to our channel to stay up to date on sermons and classes at Grace Lutheran Church in Pocatello, Idaho. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go. Mm -hmm.